This last Christmas, Sarah and I received a, a very thoughtful Christmas gift from a family member that came by way of email. The email was for a, 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 a membership at like a wine club thing that included wine tasting where you go there, you show your membership, and you get wine tasting. And we thought, awesome. It's December 30th. Surely it won't be too busy. No, it was crazy busy, right? But we decided, well, we're going to go. We're going to try to get there early. If there's a line, we'll just wait through the line. So we have the email. that said, okay, go talk to this person. Show them this email. Read them this code. And then you'll get your membership card. And then you can go do all the stuff. So I find out where that person is. And the line is long. And it's not moving very fast. So we wait. We wait about 45 minutes, get to talk to that person, and they say, oh, you've been in the wrong line. <laughs> the other side of the room, that's the person you need. Oh, and that line looks even longer. Sorry. Next. Sometimes in life, we're in the wrong line. We're in the wrong place. Sometimes we're not really sure what we're asking for. Maybe we think we're in the right place or we think we're talking to the right person and then we find out that we're not. Sometimes we just don't know the right question to ask to how to find out where we need to go, who we need to talk to. And sometimes we don't have any of those questions. We just know somewhere in our mind, somewhere in our heart that we don't have what we need and we hope that at some point we can find whatever that is. Our passage from Mark this morning is three different stories that are all pointing us toward major themes in Mark. Ben shared with us five of those themes last week. Good news, Jesus is Lord. The kingdom of God is near, a community of disciples, and how Jesus approached making people whole as a holistic healer. These stories this morning highlight all of those themes, or at least point to them. But our primary focus will be on Jesus as a holistic healer, how he makes us whole, and how that approach leads to a community of disciples. Our first story, very early in Jesus' ministry, he's already incredibly well-known. He's drawing large crowds because news travels fast. And he's, in, he's at home. And there were so many people gathered around that the line was longer than 45 minutes that people couldn't even get through the door into the house to try to speak to him. And then some people came. And they were carrying a paralyzed man. And when they saw that the crowd was so great, just wall-to-wall -wall people, and people outside could even get in, they went, there's no way we're carrying him through this. So they decided to do a little mission impossible. And they went up high, removed the roof, and then lowered their friend on a mat down into the room where Jesus was. And when Jesus saw this, this is verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, child, your sins are forgiven. 
put yourself in the place of those friends. Were they in the wrong line? They weren't looking for the sins to be forgiven. They were looking for him to be healed so he could walk. Were they talking to the wrong person? Were they asking the wrong questions? Did they skip the wrong line? What is going on here? And when Jesus said, child, your sins are forgiven, some of the scribes of the Pharisees immediately went off. He can't do that. God can do that. He can't do that. And then Jesus, knowing what they are thinking, knowing what they are saying, knowing the words in their hearts, Jesus said, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven. Or to the paralyzed man, stand up and take your mat and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And he stood up and took the mat and went out before all of them so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Jesus was doing something new. But he did not do it accidentally. Let's talk about the child, your sins are forgiven. Perhaps our mind goes to what is the man's sin? Does Jesus know things that we don't know, of which the answer is yes? Or is it saying that the physical ailment was a manifestation of sin, which was a common belief and still is a taught belief? Or is there something else there that we're missing? I think we first have to start with what is sin. Sin, the simplest way I know to put it, is sin is anything that separates us from God. It can be a personal action, it can be a corporate action, it can be societal, communal, it can be anything that separates us from God is sin. Which means that forgiving sins, simply put, is uniting us or reuniting us with God. It's bringing us back together, repairing that relationship. And that is the root of everything Jesus did. When Jesus was baptized, God claimed Jesus. Our baptism is God claiming us as God's children, bringing us together with God. The Last Supper, which we celebrate as communion, and we will celebrate today. Communion, with Latin origin, literally means partnership, fellowship, working together as one. Reuniting, bringing people together, bringing us together is communion. When the man who is paralyzed has his sins forgiven, in that moment Jesus is saying, I am reuniting you with your creator. You are now in partnership with God. And when Jesus says, Son of Man, Jesus is saying, God is right here before you. 
our second story. Jesus went out beside the sea, and there was a whole crowd, because Jesus is Jesus famous already. And he taught them, and he was walking along. He saw Levi sitting at the tax collection station. And Jesus told the tax collector exactly what he told his disciples. Follow me. And he did. And Jesus went to have dinner in Levi's house. And Levi invited other tax collectors and people who the community saw as sinners. And they were all gathered together. They're eating with Jesus and with his disciples. And there were still others who were following them. Because you can't keep people out. You close the door, they take off your roof. Right? That's funny. That's okay. We can laugh at that. So there was this huge meal. And when the scribes of the Pharisees, the same ones who were questioning earlier, saw Jesus was eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they said, why does he eat with those people? Jesus heard this. And Jesus said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, I've not come to call the righteous, I think, is a very blatant nod to the scribes of the Pharisees who themselves would be described, who described themselves as righteous. But the other flip side of this as aligned with our theology as a Reformed church is we are all sinners. That we all need Christ, our communities, our societies, our neighborhoods, our churches, our individuals, our families, we all need Christ. Because the second we say that we do not have sin, we're saying that we are not disconnected from God. We're saying that we're one with God already and that we don't need Jesus. That's not a good mindset to take. But when we acknowledge that there is a separation, a breach that needs to be repaired, then we point to Christ as being the one who can do it. I include this story as a holistic act of healing, not because we see physical maladies being healed, but because as human beings, we are meant to interact with other people. We are meant to be in community. Now, some of us who we call extroverts like being around people more, and some of us who call introverts may need a little more time alone, and that's all okay. But at the end of the day, we all need to have other people we can speak with, we can rely on, where they can be our friend and we can be theirs. That is a core human need. And when a society pushes people to the margins and says you are not worthy of having that need met, then there is healing there that needs to be done. Brings us to our third story. Now John's disciples, that's John the Baptist, and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, remember, they're having this huge party, right? They're having all this this big meal. They say, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, the wedding attendants cannot fast while the bridegroom is with them, can they? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. 
The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast on that day. Jesus here is the bridegroom, and Mark is already pointing to what is to come. We'll see that throughout the Gospel of Mark. And it's another point that the kingdom of God is near, that things are happening. Jesus continues, No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old cloak. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. So the thinking here being that if it's new cloth that is not yet shrunk, you have it be the right size, you sew it just right, when it shrinks, it pulls it away. That's pretty easy for us to imagine, right? We, have, we all have clothes. Does anyone here have a wineskin at home? No, okay, so we'll unpack that one a little bit more. He says, similarly, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins. And the wine is lost, and so are the skins. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. It's actually kind of the same thinking, that as things age and are used, they can stretch or shrink. The shape kind of changes, and then it's set. That's the same way with the wineskins, thinking that if you have an old wineskin that has already gone done its stretching, it's already set in its shape, then you fill it with fresh wine, that then gases will come off and it will expand the volume inside. If there's no give in the wineskin, because it's already given as much as it can, then it's got to burst. And nobody wants to lose all their wine, you know, down the back of their pants or something because it bursts while you're carrying it, Right? Does anyone here want to have that happen to them? No? So we're going to use new wineskins this year, right? You don't have to. But what Jesus is saying with both of these, that are both making the same point, is that Jesus is bringing something new. Right back to the first story. We've never seen this before, something new. Jesus is bringing something new, and we see this throughout Scripture. We call Jesus the cornerstone of the church. The cornerstone being the first stone in the foundation that is set. I can tell you that if your house needs a new roof, which the house in the first story does now, if your house needs a new roof, do you dig up the foundation and build a whole new house? No, you, patch, you throw a tarp over it and you put a new roof on, right? If you need new paint, you don't start at the foundation. The foundation is the first thing, and when that's set, it is set. So if Jesus is being the cornerstone then that's telling us that there is something new. We don't call Jesus the temporary tarp of the church. We call him the cornerstone of the church. And when you take all of this together, on this day as we're celebrating communion, whether here in person or online, we're celebrating it together, we are celebrating that there is something new being created out of something eternal. And if you think that doesn't quite make sense, I'm kind of there with you, but also say that's how God works. Because we say the language that we use when we gather around the table is that we are celebrating with the saints of every time and every place. And unless it's this episode of Doctor Who, which has a new Christmas special, any Doctor Who fans? Only, just you and me, Hank. That's okay. It's great, though, isn't it? Yeah, anyway. So there are things like that that logically can't necessarily make sense to us. 
And that's hard when we are in a world where we want everything to make sense. And we try to ascribe meaning. But what we can pull from it is something, again, very simple. That this is the gift, the meal that does not expire. There is no expiration date on it, not because it's a Twinkie. Okay, I thought that was funny. Several people, right? Not because it's a Twinkie, but because it is a gift that is alive. When we look at Christ as the living word, the living bread, the living water, the cup of the new covenant, it is something that is still active in us, in our communities, in our world. And this is the opportunity we have to say, I'm taking off the roof, I'm coming in, and if we're inside that house, we need to say, take it off, open up new doors, kick out the windows, because there is something new happening here, and it is miraculous, and we want everybody to be a part of it. Amen? Amen. Amen.